Welcome to Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, All He Surveys, Volume 1, Chapter 2. The shift went well overall. Not for me, of course, but the others in the place seemed to have fallen into a rhythm. A few minutes before the dinner hour began, Chef returned from the meeting. She well understood there was no way to interrupt the rolling, structured chaos of this moment, but she did have a few quiet words with Timote off to one side, to which he just nodded. She then left, and I thought she'd be gone for the rest of the shift though that wasn't to be the case. There were two seatings for dinner, one at 1800 hours and another at 1930. During a momentary lull between, Chef Irina reappeared and called for everyone's attention. This was unusual, not just for me, but to everyone, and more than a few apprehensive faces turned her way. Keep at your stations, team, and at your dishes, but give me an ear. At the next stop, Dinar Station, we will be taking aboard a noble space business executive and his family on their way home from a vacation in the Alliance. Their name is Fausel, and they are what people seem to call commoners over here, though they are quite wealthy. The Fausels will be coming aboard with a large staff, many of whom will remain awake. And here, Chef paused. Not for effect, I don't think, but in preparation. A special request for halal cooking has been made. This got surprised commentary from everyone in the kitchen, except me, since I had no idea what it meant. Chef raised a hand for quiet, which was immediately delivered. I explained to Captain Barton that effectively the food already is, since nearly everything we serve is vegan. Nearly everything isn't everything, but it would be trivial to entirely abstain from a list of haram ingredients for the one jump that this family will be aboard, but this is not acceptable, apparently. They are insistent and Klelgen Cruise Lines is accommodating. There isn't a certified halal chef or chef's assistant aboard, Timote pointed out. It can't be done, then, Yukus endorsed. There are many differing definitions of what halal actually is these days, Ibn Muhammad added. Do you know what branch of Islam they follow? I don't, but it doesn't matter. And here she looked to the floor and shook her head as if to gather strength. Apparently, they travel with their own chef. Oh, the instantaneous uproar this statement caused. Protestations and objections arose to a piking cacophony so reflexive and loud it was impossible to discern 
any detailed responses save the emotion of it all. Chef Irina let them vent openly and freely for a few seconds, then once again held up her hand for order and attention, which she obtained on the spot. Her control was truly absolute in this room. I share your feelings and made them known to the senior officers and staff, she related. Because of certain written agreements with the cruise line, however, the Fausels, and by extension their staff, will have control of these facilities while aboard, so as to provide the most authentic halal experience possible under the circumstances. So yes, this includes meals for the passengers and all staff for the space of a single jump. Eight days, subjective time, plus the transit to and from the jump points. Their culinary team includes a qualified chef and his assistants, but they cannot do it all on their own. Planetside V could pull a knives down and refuse all this. Here it is not the same. This is happening, and we must tolerate it. I shall be attending to the administrative end of things during this new chef's presence, but while he is in this kitchen, his word will be final. Why can't he just cook for his own people and leave the rest of it to you? Someone whom I couldn't see on the other side of the kitchen put in. Because their food might be tainted by non-halal cooking by accident, Ibn Muhammad offered. He was supposedly a Muslim himself, though I'd never seen him pray, and he did enjoy an occasional glass of wine. Who is this man? Do you know his name? Timot asked. He's from noble space. I never heard of him. Zeppelin Tonva? But this got the same sort of confused look from everyone in the room as it did from Chef Irina. A four-star chef of her stature knew the big players in the Alliance, all the respected chefs and all the rock stars. But the galaxy was big and getting bigger all the time. It would have been astonishing, in fact, if Chef had heard of some random cook specializing in a particular version of a religious-based cuisine working for a single family a hundred light-years from Terra where she'd been born and raised and received her training. And indeed, halal, even this modern, variegated version, was a thing all to itself and required a type of training that was never recognized by the glamorous food critics of the galaxy and their subjective rating systems. It was a world apart, in other words, besides being light years away. Chef, why didn't you get a heads up about this from the start? Timot demanded. Really, that was the big question here and it got another round of annoyed endorsement. Once again, Chef Irina let the venting happen for a few moments before raising a single finger to end it. Apparently, this family was only added to the passenger manifest at the previous stop. Anag Suliarta, the ship's director of services, was going through the latest data dump, and this was primary among the updates. She told me, that when a ship of this size takes aboard the household of that size and wealth, every accommodation is to be made. As to why we had no previous warning, 
I am told there was a mix-up with their travel itinerary, and they've been stranded on Dinar, where they will be joining us. They have bought out whoever is currently in the big suite on B-deck for five times the original ticket price. This is a rich family, and they travel like it, even when they're subject to the vagaries of starship schedules. What do we call this cook when he arrives? Maury queried. You call him chef. You take his orders as if they were mine. This is an opportunity to learn for all of us. You will work with many different people in your careers, so serve Chef Tonva well for the single jump that he will be in charge, and make me proud. And with that, Irina Markovskov nodded and withdrew to her office, a tiny cabin off to the side of the kitchen. She closed the door, which meant she wouldn't tolerate being disturbed for idle reasons. Despite her philosophical pronouncement at the end, it seemed unlikely to me that she could have been sanguine about the situation. One didn't become her without a sizable ego. There was nothing more for anyone to say or ask, so the lull was over just as soon as orders from the human waitstaff out in the dining room started popping up on the hollow display above the stations responsible for each required item. Yukus was glued to her counter, chopping in a frenzy. Several things appeared over her head, and she called to Maury. It was his job to help anyone who needed it, and he literally hopped to it, taking over her preparations so she could get some other things rolling. Across the galley, it was bangs, clashes, a whoosh of flame, a hiss of steam. They were all dancing in a hot, damp factory. Ibn, ticket 11, full fish, ready for you. How's the glaze on those cutlets? Hot pan. It was a ballet of chaos and noise. It was business as usual. There wasn't a single person there who didn't have a place and knew what it was, except maybe for me. Understand, I did get the concept of the kitchen as an amalgamated beast. It was that I really didn't seem to have a knack for it. And I was coming to realize I actually didn't like it. I'd been expecting the long hours and the constant hustle, but in addition to getting burned by oil, hot pans, and steam, all of which were disparate and terrible types of pain, there were the nauseating smells of wet food and detergent fogging up the place from the dishwasher as well as the scent combinations that didn't seem like food at all, but rather something you'd find in a trash can. Most of all, I somehow hadn't anticipated what being on my feet all day would do to those feet and to my lower back. I must have muttered something to this effect when going by Yukus at one point, because she said pointedly, Regaining your lost youth is just an appointment away, Ejok. You don't have to torture us. I should have apologized, but she wouldn't have appreciated it, and no one else really seemed to have noticed or cared. It was a bit of a mystery why she tormented me. I mean, lots of people had expressed their dissatisfaction over the years, but really, I'd been on my best behavior since coming aboard Dorcas. 
and the odds were quite literally astronomical that we'd ever come across each other before, so she wasn't holding a grudge. Maybe it was simply an aspect of the profession? Yuku's was the most vocal by far, but I had the sneaking suspicion that the other senior cooks felt the same way. Anag, the director of services that Chef Irina had mentioned, even gave me a dark frown on my first day while looking through my CV before launch. Did they really need an under-trained addition to the galley staff? Diaves, as she was often called, was essentially the head of the entire passenger experience. Everything from accommodations and light maintenance to activities and events. From the cleaning and pressing of clothes to room service as a whole. All of it was on her list of responsibilities. Even the dining experience. That might not seem like a great way to please a four-star chef, but in this case, Diaves acted like the restaurant's owner. She knew what was required of the kitchen by both the cruise line and the ship itself. She made sure Chef Irina knew what it was, and then she trusted her to provide it. Ejok, over here, Ibn called. He had been about to drench a soy roast that was coming from the oven. Drenching was a fairly new cooking technique, wherein a piece of meat, real or imitation like this one, was dipped in a simmering kettle of highly piquant sauce. This sauce was made to cling to the meat, which was then rested, carved, and plated. The drench could be composed of contrasting or complementary flavors, depending upon the dish, and was considered one of those epicurean final-touch sorts of things that had risen over the years. In large kitchens, it was the job of different staff members to perform a drench, such as the rotisseur, who handled baked and roasted meats, the grillardin for anything coming off the grill, the poissonier for fish, or really anyone who seemed to have authority over a particular dish. In Chef Irina's kitchen, or at least on this truncated one flying across the stars, the drench was prepared and seen to by the saucier. As Ibn lifted the roast from its pan, an edge stuck where it had caramelized, burning onto it slightly. It was a beautiful-looking piece of faux meat, but the pan had hot oil at the bottom, and he was balanced on the edge of a counter. If it fell when he pulled the roast away, oil would go everywhere, hence his call for assistance. I rushed over with my trusty kitchen towel and took up the hot pan so he could bring the roast to the trompeur, a specialized pot where the drench sauce was simmering. It turned out that my towel was a rather poor choice of hand protection under the circumstances, as it wicked up the hot oil like it was designed for that express purpose. Before I could even set anything down, I felt a cool pressure on my fingers, which immediately became blazing agony. I yelped and dropped the pan on the deck, dancing backwards like a drunk at a wedding. I collapsed against Maury, who remained upright but lost hold of a bowl of chopped vegetables which scattered everywhere. Hot oil! Timot cried. Where he'd come from, I don't know, but he was at my side almost immediately. Helping me to my feet, he noticed my fingers. Only seconds had passed, but they were already swollen and blistering. Niren, get this cleaned up and be careful. Ejak, go to sick bay right now. No delays. I think it'll be okay, 
I replied, though it hurt like nothing else does, the touch of boiling oil being a truly distinctive experience. You thought the towel was a good idea, so pardon me if I don't respect your opinions, he said, temper up, but voice still level. Arguing was pointless unless I wanted him to throw something at me. All of it was pointless. That job was pointless. I nodded without further objection and walked out the side hatch into the main companionway. On a ship like this one, which catered to the rich and up-and-coming, it would normally be that only certain types of staff were even allowed near the passengers, let alone rub shoulders with them. Dorcas of the Heather was an exclusive vessel, certainly, but it was still a small cruise ship. That meant crew often walked among passengers because there wasn't room on the vessel for many service-only companionways. Of course, interacting with passengers in a professional capacity was the job of some crew members. Wait staff, stewards, cosmetic techs, recreation directors, and so on. In the galley, though, only the chef could regularly speak to passengers. Irina Markovskov was famous, so she often went out and hobnobbed. The bumbling apprentice in the kitchen wasn't, so he... Oh, okay. Yeah, my hand was starting to hurt a lot. Timot had been absolutely right to send me off. New job. Potential new career, yet everyone distrusted, disliked, or even actively hated me. And now I was injured. Perhaps it was time for another reevaluation of my life goals. Dorcas had a doctor and nurse aboard, but there was some high-strung passenger in there ahead of me, a guy who insisted, really demanded, that he was suffering a heart attack, despite the fact that he wasn't. It was being in star jump, he insisted. It was this extra-dimensional travel giving him arrhythmia. He'd seen a newsvid story about mysterious mid-jump deaths, and he was pretty sure, actually, he was absolutely sure it was happening to him. I could hear them plainly in the next room, as the doctor tried to soothe his nerves. By my way of thinking, the guy needed medication all right, but not for his heart. I suspected that a lot of the shipboard healthcare duty on Dorcas was of this general character. It was simply impossible to avoid when you had nothing but rich clientele aboard with time on their hands. Plus, a lot of them had had age reassignment procedures done and were considerably younger in body than they were in spirit. It seemed like half the people who underwent ARP began to think of themselves as being invulnerable and immortal when, of course, they were neither. This type did all sorts of stupid, often dangerous stuff just because they figured they could now. The other half never seemed to get over all the aches, pains, and worries that their old selves had been plagued with. The guy who wasn't having a heart attack seemed to be in the latter camp. And since he was paying for all this attention, he got the pampering and assurances he craved. It was part of the package. After a time, a fellow dressed in white came out into the waiting room and saw me standing there in my kitchen garb. 
face in a grimace. Sorry for the wait. Hot water? The nurse asked, examining my hand. He was a tall, big-shouldered fellow with a gentle smile and quiet manner. He had brown, receding hair that was long in back and carefully braided into a single ponytail. His nails were also long and painted white to match the uniform. His eyes were kind, but I knew that could be faked, so I just took it for what it was worth. Oil, I replied, then hissed with pain. We got it wiped off right away, but I think some skin went along for the ride. Hmm, possibly. I'm Kevin, a CMP, he offered. CMP meant Certified Medical Provider, a professional title distinct from a doctorate, which nonetheless indicated years of training and experience. In some star systems, CMPs were considered fully equal to doctors in authority and respectability. On a ship like this one, where prestige could sometimes matter to people more than common sense, Kevin played second fiddle in sickbay, acting as nurse to a fellow professional sporting a doctorate. Ejac de Santos, expert kitchen obstacle. He laughed and took my elbow, guiding me to another door. That looks very painful. Here, this way. The door opened onto a moderate room with an akame, a type of robotic modular table that could become anything from a self-trundling stretcher to a dentist chair to an operating table as needed. Really, it was a space-saving device since it could be used for pretty much any required procedure. With a verbal command, he had the Akame convert to a bench-style thing, then guided me over. Maybe just some antibiotic bandages, an inflam patch, and an extended nerve block, I suggested. It's not so bad. Then I hissed again. You've had some training. I have a Class II emergency medico cert, along with a few special addendums for stuff like cold passage and radiation exposure. He nodded the smile never waning. A Class II cert covered more than just the basics, but I had no right to an opinion about an injury like this one when there were real professionals aboard. Let's get it cleaned up first, and Dr. Sagasaw will take a look. How'd it happen? I tried to help someone. Always a mistake. And he was still smiling. It was that professional face that medico-types have on tap, at least when they aren't exhausted or burned out. He was good at it. If I didn't move my hand and kept it up, the fingers only throbbed. If I let it down by my side, though, they immediately ached like they were filled with spikes. If I bumped the hand, which I invariably did, it was like touching a high-amp electrical circuit, and it actually made me jump. If I looked at it wrong, it seemed to thump with pain and heat. The thumb, index, and middle finger of my right hand were shiny red now and at least double their normal wits. They wanted to burst and clear liquid was already seeping from a split in the thumb. Being a righty, this was going to be a serious challenge for a while. So he was correct about the pain. The fingers, sure, but mostly the knowledge that this wasn't working out. The job would have been a dream come true for a certain type of person. For a kid, maybe, who was passionate about food and looking to work with the best of the best. 
For a fat loner on the high end of middle age, lacking any of the requisite skills? Well, it was unlikely that I'd be staying past this cruise, or even in this field past this cruise. Kevin was careful about the cleanup and very gentle. He asked me to wait a bit, then went to inform the doctor. I sat there with blistered skin and blistered spirits, feeling lost and alone with my thoughts for a whole minute. It seemed like a very long time. The artificial intelligence programs that jobs in the commercial gunnery field were falling to weren't just stupid blocks of computer code. They weren't vending machines you might argue with about overcharging your hard credit account. They were smart, slick, and dedicated to one thing only, and they were getting pretty darn good at it, even by my standards. Of course, I had looked up the armaments and gunnery software for Dorcas before even coming aboard. It was force of habit. They were rather impressive overall. Three Largo brand Scorpion IV plasma lances, which were, in essence, the same thing as Class B military-grade high-throughput plasma cannons, only with a proscribed range so they could be legally mounted on a civilian vessel. Dorcas couldn't hit a target much beyond 10,000 kilometers or so, unlike the military version, which could do so at 100,000 or more. But within that prescribed range, you sure wouldn't want to be on the business end. Additionally, the ship bore a rapid-fire missile tube with plenty of ordnance for both short- and long-range engagements. And like everything about Dorcas of the Heather, the program controlling this hardware was equally top-flight. The doctor was a woman of median height, with dyed green hair cut into a bowl shape that looked better on her than perhaps anyone else I'd ever seen wearing a cut like that before, though not by much, and not in a way that you'd describe as attractive. She appeared to be about my age and had light eyes. Over these, she wore augmenting display glasses that piped diagnostic data while she worked. Hello, A-Yoke, she said, reading my name off a file through her lenses and mispronouncing it. It's Ejok, I corrected, hissing again. She apologized with a smile like Kevin's and then said it correctly to show me she was listening. She held a pen which she passed over my burned hand. This caused numbers and words to appear before her eyes, proving it wasn't a pen. Looks like a vegetable oil blend along with some light acidics, she said to her nurse. Swelling, but no deep tissue trauma. Epidermal tears in looks like four spots. I assume it hurts, Ejok? You could say that. I wouldn't argue. Right. Kevin, let's do a duogen cream along with AB drops just in case. The CMP proceeded to gather the required medications from a cabinet within easy reach and then carefully applied it to my hand as the doctor looked on. Can I get a nerve block grip? I asked. Prescription blocks were a darn sight better than over-the-counter ones, but she shook her head. Nerve blocks aren't for every kind of pain. They wouldn't do you much good for a burn like this. In addition to stimulating skin regeneration, the cream will act as a microbial barrier and numbing agent. It's pretty good stuff. We'll give you a sampler tube. Apply it once a day or more often if you get it wet, but try not to get it wet until you're healed. 
say a week. I'm in a kitchen all day, I protested. How's that supposed to work? She smiled at my tone. She was just so professional I decided I disliked her. A glove would be fine. It's not always that simple. I mean, I'm grabbing hot pans. I'm using cleaning compounds. I'll be taking gloves on and off all shift. They'll get in the way. I can't work like that. But she continued being unlikable. Just tell Chef Irina that it's doctor's orders. A minute or two after that, the fingers really did feel much better. There was nothing more to be done, so I thanked them both and made my way back to the kitchen. It wasn't a big ship by cruise liner standards. I suppose you could have even called it small. It was a fine one, though, attracting the well-off looking for a luxurious journey, as well as the fabulously wealthy searching for the kind of discretion that a superliner simply couldn't offer. Here, with so few fellow passengers to make a fuss, even celebrities could travel in peace. Annoyingly, though, they all seemed to be out and about on my way back. I'd had to use the main companionway again, and this time my sleeve was rolled up, exposing the hand to view. It was still swollen and raw, and attracted attention accordingly. Three times passengers stopped to ask me what had happened, assuming, I'm sure, that it was okay to inquire about the private business of a servant. Feeling perverse, I gave three different answers, none of which were true. It had already been a long day, filled with disappointment, pain, and morose revelation, and I was frankly in a mood. I'd said yes to this job when it came my way. I could now see that was a mistake. I'd had doubts I could do it once I saw what was really involved, and those doubts were being realized. An impulse indulged, and a regret earned. All of which you might simply call being right about being wrong. You have been listening to All He Surveys, Volume 1, a Star Drifter novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. This story is copyright 2022 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The All He Surveys theme is a piece called Blossom by Edward Malov and is licensed through tribeofnoise.com. This story is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead nor any particular place or situation. Any similarities to such are purely coincidental. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site, davidcollinsrivera.com, where you'll find everything Star Drifter, including more audio, novels, and stories, the Star Drifter tabletop role-playing game, podcasts, newsletters, and more. Stop by, won't you, and drop me a line. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>